We're going to Tuesday at 10. This is Carl Treacher, and despite my better judgment, I'm again joined by James Carter as we explore the very tricky world of artificial intelligence. The moment Microsoft are predicting that 95% of all customer interactions by 2025 will be supported by artificial intelligence technology. James, welcome to the show. What are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Carla. It was so it was so nice to have such a warm introduction. It almost it almost sounded like you were being a little bit sarcastic about enjoying having me on the show. You could almost say it was artificial. It could it could almost have been described as artificial. And um, what are my thoughts on artificial intelligence? Well, where do I begin? Um, Just begin. I might start. I might start by putting on my marketing hat. Great. I put it on now. Yeah, it's a bobble, It's a bobble hat. Yep. It says marketing on the front. I can only imagine what that looks like. Um, look, I think there's lots of really good um, applications for artificial intelligence, but let's you know let's go go back to my research and where I go for most of my knowledge, which is um, films I've watched. Mm, indeed, uh, please do go ahead. Uh, there's three films that come to mind to me that we couldn't possibly ignore when discussing artificial intelligence. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, number one mm. and number two, probably, but that would make the list four is uh, Blade yes. Runner. That's right, Star Wars. Blade Runner. Yes, uh, C-3PO. <laughs> um, Blade, Blade Runner, great movie, cult movie. Um, the issue they have in Blade Runner is yes. they can't tell yes. who's a human and who's a robot because that's how good the artificial intelligence is. They've, they're using, uh, I think we call them cyborgs, don't we, where the, they, they've got the skin of a human but the brain of a robot. Is that a cyborg? Mm. I think that's I, I, technically, I think that's exactly what they're called. Yeah. And um, and they use uh, they use the psychological test, the Turin test, which is, I believe, a true test, isn't it? Real to see if you're human. I don't know. Hmm. Wish I'd done my research. The movie doesn't really go into a lot of detail on that point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which one of us had? <laughs> There's some assumed knowledge. Mm. Um, great movie. Anyway, um, mm. the next one, more recent, uh, mm. Joaquin Phoenix, um, mm. at the height of his career, uh, starred in a movie called Her which is probably out of the three movies I'm going to mention, the one that's most realistic and the one that would be most related to me having my marketing hat on. Um, mm, and also the most positive. Yeah, very very positive, although slightly... He, I mean, to be fair, whacking forms almost an unhealthy relationship with his computer. Yeah, well, I think in that day and age or in that, that world that they were living in, I don't know if he had too many options, but... Um, it seemed to be very fulfilling in some ways, I thought. In fact, maybe even superior to our conventional relationships. <laughs> the uh, Look, it was, I, you know, if, if we were going to, if out of the three movies, one I haven't mentioned yet, we're going to mention what's most likely to happen. I think the possibility of a computer being able to have um, heartfelt, realistic and compassionate, empathetic, empathetic conversations with a person. It's not too far. It's not too far from the realms of current possibility, but I don't think we're anywhere near it yet. How have you not, how have you not mentioned Terminator here? I just, I feel like I'm just moving in the, in the more sort of arty cult movie side of things, but Mm. in line with Terminator, not, not the same movie Mm. by any means, but not quite as successful as the other movies I've mentioned. But I think... Up there as one of my favourites was um, Ex Machina with o- Oscar Isaac. Uh, so, so um, Oscar Isaac, he's a he's a founder, like a Google esque kind of founder, um, who's a very smart guy, and he goes and he lives in the in his house in the country, and he develops this robot that's very human that can have all these human characteristics, but doesn't necessarily look exactly like a human. It's you know, it's got like a robotic sort of outer skin, um, but a human face. And he uploads this with 
um, and he, he wants to do a test to see if he can get this robot to uh, <laughs> to to be to be human enough to fool someone. So he brings his employee over to his house and he lets the employee hang out with the robot in a controlled environment and gives the, the employee certain rules about not releasing the robot and all these things. And so they talk through a piece of glass. And um, anyway, the employee falls in love with the robot. The employee is also super smart. He's a computer programming kind of person of himself, falls in love with the robot, releases the robot, and the robot kills everybody. Excellent. Spoiler alert. I'm just so excited that we finally found our niche. We're going to review sci-fi films. That's basically what Tuesday at 10 is. Welcome, everybody, to Tuesday at 10, the sci-fi review program. Back to what we're actually talking about. (laughs) What problems does AI actually solve? So... At the moment, we've got customer journey data that is very siloed, uh, steeped in legacy systems and inaccessible to teams you know, that require actionable insights to make data-driven decisions. The, the role of AI and machine learning in that is going to be incredibly helpful. Yeah, and I think you made an important distinction there, or you, you didn't actually make a distinction, but you talked about them both together. I think there's a big difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, I think machine learning and sort of automated programmable tasks is where we are at the moment. And it's, a, it's on a quite, I think it's currently in the mass kind of market is quite, is on quite a, ba- a basic level. That's not to say there's some very, there's not some very clever things going on in the research laboratories and minds of, 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 of geniuses, but for what you can get your hands on today, it's pretty basic, especially from a marketing automation point of view. You touched there on uh, data, and I think data is probably uh, the most advanced section um, that is being helped by AI. So the ability to clean databases and um work out sort of who's real who's not i've just been doing a project actually with a client on a a big database deduping it um so so we're working using using a tool to find the duplicates and it's not just who's got the same email address but it's you know matching up various data points in a database and i think there's some really beneficial tools there it's a very boring job for anyone to try and go through it line by line or do it manually and the computer the 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 ai stuff or the machine learning stuff that can help you is, is amazing um I think, you know, if you go further than that, there's various other ways that it happens. But I think the 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 point at which people are trying to make it quite human is around um, chatbots. Yep. Chatbots. And that's probably but my least favorite part of AI at the moment. There's nothing. What about virtual assistants, though, James? Sorry to interrupt you, but I, I never know when you're actually or if you're ever going to stop. But virtual assistants obviously making a uh, massive sort of, uh, you know, um, entrance into the world of customer experience uh, series very you know prevalent uh, Alexa from Amazon lives in my my kitchen and tells me what the weather's going to be and well, how long it's going to take me to get certain places I think that's pretty useful Look, that is certainly useful um, and the voice recognition search and respond technology that those kind of tools use is great but I wouldn't class that as machine mm. learning the machine learning is our Carl you know, Carl likes this kind of music. He's interested in these bits of news. He lives in this location and he works here. I'm piecing together um, some, you know, some podcast style information or stuff to to give him each morning to improve his day. 
I think that's where we're up to at the moment. And Spotify does a bit of that. And there's various other tools. In fact, um, yeah, there's various other tools. In fact, the, the people we use, uh, Wushka, uh, for some of our podcasting technology. And I know they've, um, they've done a lot of work in that sphere around pulling. Mm. And there is a whole new genre. There's a whole new um, uh, job job sorry to cut you off again i'll try and create some value for anyone listening to this the the concept (laughs) of predictive personalization is incredibly attractive for every company we know that the hallmark of greatest companies are they are relevant uh, in real time to to um to their customers so the the option or the idea that we can uh collate information and play it back to people in a way that's useful and meaningful and relevant in at the right moment is incredibly attractive if you remember back there was a music streaming service called pandora and they would i think there's still is there not still a music streaming? oh there could be it was sort of on the up a few years ago i'm not sure if it still is but what they were doing that was they were they were aggregating elements and behavior of particular individuals and then serving them particular genres of music based on predictive mood that they may or may not be in. Now, that was groundbreaking, but that's really what we're going to start seeing a hell of a lot more of. One of the people that I think is really at the forefront of understanding artificial intelligence, along with the governance and the ethical considerations that go... Oh, thanks, Carl. It's such a, such a warm introduction is Matt Cooperholtz, who is the Chief Data Scientist at PwC, also the recipient of the Australian Data Leader Award in 2019. And this is what he had to say. All right, so from Siri to self-driving cars and everything in between, artificial intelligence is progressing rapidly. Joining us today to shed some light on this is PwC's Chief Data Scientist, Matthew Cooperholtz. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Carl. Now, you and I go back, I mean, I, I hate to even admit it, but it's something like 35 years. In fact, we're at school together and when people say, you know, don't be the smartest kid in the room or the smartest person in the room, you actually always were that person. <laughs> You were quite often the most handsome person in the room, Carl. <laughs> I think any uh, handsomeness that accompanied my youth uh, left when my youth did. But uh, thank you so much for saying that. One thing I think we would be very interested in hearing is your definition of artificial intelligence. Sure. I, I think, Carl, it's also important to set the scene. When you said it's moving rapidly, hmm. um, it's actually moving exponentially exponentially means that something is doubling over time, which means it, it, it actually changes so quickly uh, that it gets away from us and, and we don't even recognise the speed of change. Now, powering that are a couple of underlying exponential trends. Most importantly, computing power, uh, which has continued to double every 18 months since the 1960s. So we have unprecedented amounts of amounts of computing power and the other important thing that fuels AI is data and the large amounts of data growing exponentially um, through many many more connected devices has this positive feedback loop with AI as we have more and more data for the AI to learn from with more and more computing power but this is still a bit of a, a nebulous concept and the reason is that defining and understanding artificial intelligence actually requires us to define and understand intelligence which is quite tricky Mm. so for ai let's think of a spectrum um, or intelligence in general this idea of making some choice based on some inputs or some stimuli and it's easier for us to get ahead around if we think of something very very narrow and narrow in terms of the task we're trying to um, perform 
So quite often in, in computer science and, and in early AI research, we thought about things where the rules were very, very clearly defined, like a game. Um, can we teach a computer how to play Pac-Man? Or can we teach a computer how to play chess? Or more recently, can we teach a computer how to play at expert levels, very, very complex games like Go? And we see that we can do that, aided by computing power, aided by clever algorithms, um, aided by what we call artificial neural networks, which is basically a, a form of computer algorithm that's inspired by how nature has solved problems of cognition and pattern recognition. Um, but where AI starts getting interesting, I think, is when we move away from that narrow stuff and we kind of just accept now that a computer should be able to play a game very well into something a bit more general. Um, classic example, seeing and perceiving. So whether we talk about computers reading documents and we all think um, that OCR or optical character recognition is we take for granted a computer can read typewritten or handwritten documents, but recognizing faces and recognizing emotions on faces and counting cars. And I was at my friend's house yesterday, he's got a newborn baby and um, on his phone, he was seeing the breath rate of the baby. And that was, um, from a little camera that was placed above the cot. So actually able to ascertain the, the micro movements of the baby's chest to give him a, a very accurate breath rate. Now, that sort of seeing and perceiving is a bit more general. Um, the, the prize, which we call general intelligence, artificial general intelligence, is very anthropomorphic in that we say, can a computer basically act as a human? throw at any question, it'll reference its databases, it'll know what we mean, it'll understand the context. Um, but again, I caution that idea of just trying to be like a human. In actual fact, general artificial intelligence is probably going to be quite alien, quite foreign to a human, but it, it is a computer that can perform a task like, let's say, driving a car or an interstate truck or even an aeroplane and take account of all the environmental factors um, and, and make decisions accordingly. So, I mean, that, that's very interesting, but it doesn't really answer my question. You know, how far away are we from Minority Report? How far away are we from a, a, the police or a government organisation being able to identify a crime before it happens with a little glass ball, it comes down a tube and poof, off you go to get the perps before it, the crime happens? Well, Carl, to be honest, we do a lot of work and have done a lot of work um, that is there already. The uh -huh. idea of, you know, you give a particular example of prophylactic or preventative policing. Yeah. And what we're trying to find based on a large amount of data is behavior that doesn't look like the behavior we think is okay. Now, when you look at enough data, finding things that appear um, abnormal is actually very easy because one thing AI does very well is consider large amounts of data and find the inherent patterns in it um, and then flag, hey, this is abnormal. So we use this um, all the time for detecting, let's say, anti-money laundering or money mm. laundering. Mm. Um, we don't need to know how you're money laundering. It can be very sophisticated. But if we look at incredible um, volumes of data, looking at the movement of monies through and between accounts, um, AI can help us find um, activity that just doesn't look normal and is worthy of closer inspection. Mm. Now that sort of preventative behavior, if we looked at the networks that 
join individuals together, whether it's from their phone records or their social media or um, body-worn cameras or interviews, many, many sources. And in fact, the more the better. Um, we very quickly find things that say, hey, um, this doesn't feel right. Mm. However, with preventative policing, you, you actually have what I'm, what I'm hoping we're going to talk a bit about today, which is an ethical conundrum arising which says just because AI does enable us to do it, so to answer your question, next five years for sure, mm, mm-hmm. we're going to comfortably be able to do it. Mm. But just because we can do it, should we do it? Mm. And, and only last week you saw IBM, Google, a couple of major players saying we're no longer going to supply facial recognition technology to police forces um, because we're, we're not sure that ethically um, they're ready for the power of this. However, you've got many more small startups and very large companies. Um, for example, did you know NEC, you know, that we all grew up with, is actually a world leader in facial recognition technology. Mm-hmm. Um, very happy to provide that to law enforcement agencies. And we, we know in jurisdictions with very different cultural norms, like China, mm. um, you already have very large facial recognition and, in fact, DNA data gathering programs um, in process, which, when combined with AI, leads to a realm where it is totally possible to do preventative policing and where the ethical considerations and the frameworks for whether you should do it might be very different to what we would have here in Australia. Thanks, Matt. My other question was relating to the show Perfect Match from the 80s, which uh, we saw Dexter choosing a partner for a contestant. And I'm very interested in your views, but for the purpose of actual value on this podcast, let's look at what's happening for organizations. The hunt is on. They're all in the race to deploy artificial intelligence for consumer benefit and also so their organization uh, performs well from a customer experience angle however i'm not so sure they're up to speed or keeping up to speed with that parallel element which is organizational governance around responsible and ethical ai keen on your views and that that's certainly what i think is lacking carl because it it hasn't been focused on and when you talk about the race being on for the technology Mm. let's be clear that the giants that have poured um millions of man hours into researching these things are actually making this technology available for free. They've open sourced things like TensorFlow from Google. Um, They'll even provide you for free the computing power to build a computer vision solution in, you know, under five minutes with with a handful of lines of code. So the technology has very rapidly become democratized. Mm. However, what we haven't done is clearly agreed the guide rails for how this should be used, whether or not we should do something, and those are the governance and the ethical frameworks that go around it. So um, governments around the world and and, um, not-for-profit organisations and academia have been publishing many positions on what we should do, but we, we don't have agreement yet about that across jurisdictions. And if you don't like what one jurisdiction is saying, then you can simply move your computers or your algorithm to another jurisdiction. Um, so I agree we're, we're, we're behind in agreeing what should be done and how we should police it and things like transparency and explainability. Tell me why the computer made that decision. We've seen some huge failures recently. Apple launched their credit card and a husband and wife both received the offer and his credit limit was many, many more times her credit limit. And when called to task, Apple said, well, our algorithms never considered gender. 
Um, but they did consider many things which turned out to be proxies for gender and therefore discriminatory. Mm. And we have many examples where that AI is found to be unfair or unreasonably biased, mm. um, where it's not transparent or explainable as to how it made a decision, um, where it's always learning. So if you don't have the right governance in place, you can't replicate a decision once made. These are all the other side of the coin. And, and I believe wholeheartedly that AI is going to be an enormous benefactor for humanity as a whole. Mm. Um, solving things like a you know fast path to a, a vaccine for COVID, mm. um, solving for massive problems like pollution and ensuring we use renewables appropriately and overcrowding and lack of food and some of the biggest challenges facing humanity, AI will be a massive tool in our arsenal to solve. Mm. However, we need to um, be accountable for ensuring we are using it appropriately with those governance and ethical frameworks and, and tests for performance along the lines of fairness, transparency. Um, and we haven't, we haven't even touched on security. No. Cyber security, which we all, which is very topical at the moment, we appreciate it's very important for the computer systems. There's a whole first cousin of that, which is the security of the AI, the extent to which it can be reverse engineered or um, forced to behave badly or nefariously by bad actors. We, we haven't moved at pace in those areas as we've moved at pace in democratising and making the technology and the data widely available. Such an interesting position because on one hand you've got the authorities and the regulators that have a responsibility here, but when it comes to individual organisations, it's going to come down to the decision-making of the executive and their board. You know, for the example you just gave us around Apple, they were probably well within their right to make the decisions and go through the process that they did, but the outtake of that or the ramifications of it is that there's reputation damage or questions now over the algorithms or the artificial intelligence process they engaged in and whether they had a you know inherent bias in that absolutely and i think how many well first first point is where does the buck stop it's not with the data scientist it's not with the engineer who's made the data available it's not with the um, technician who has deployed it 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 stops at the board level the mm. same as any decision your organization's making. So where, so where are boards at then? Where are boards at with the, you know, their level of education and, and tools to be able to govern AI? Carl, I would suggest behind where they need to be. Mm -hmm. I think many boards and the boards I speak to are very large organizations around Australia mm. are disconnected. They say, well, you know, that's not a very real choice for us yet. We're not, we haven't deployed it into the front line. Let's say, you know, we still have humans taking phone calls mm. um, and any medium to large side organization in Australia is already using AI. Yeah. It'll be inside some marketing outsourced solution. Um, it'll be inside some credit decision making. Um, they will have AI in their front line. They're just not aware of it. And now that is a problem to start with. Mm. And second of all, they can't talk to a script or a, a, a framework or a set of tools that if the regulator comes knocking, they can say, yes, this is how we're governing our AI. This is the ethical framework. This is the record keeping. You've seen through recent Royal Commissions um, that they exposed unsatisfactory levels of governance and even the simplest of um, data handling and, and computer related issues. Mm. Um, undoubtedly, this is already the case with the the nascent use of AI mm. um, and especially as we use to AI um, 
another great example, Carl, is especially when the, when the pressure's on to be efficient, um, we hear a lot about robotic process automation, which is basically computer scripts. Um, now, when you start to mix AI with that, you get you move along a spectrum to what we call intelligent automation, which is we're taking humans out of the loop to do repetitive tasks and simple decision making um, automatically within computers. Mm. Now, as soon as we have intelligent automation making our organisations more efficient, whether it's our supply chains or workforce or um, customer-based decisions, um, then the other side of the coin rears its head again. Where is our governance? How are we monitoring this? Are we even recording adequately how and why we made the decisions that ultimately affect customers, employees or suppliers? I think probably one last question for you, Matt. Since the dawn of time, people have been preoccupied by being overrun or overtaken by uh, robots. And artificial intelligence fits beautifully into that, and we see it through our media and movies. Um, given the change, the changing landscape economically, globally, I know there's a lot of anxiety and fear around the job market. Um, how do you consider artificial intelligence or technology in general playing into that anxiety? I think definitely we need to be aware of the societal and economic risks, um, but I think. AI presents to us a world of abundance. And abundance is neither good nor bad intrinsically. It's what the humans and the society decides to do with that abundance, which makes it good or bad. So there is certainly a utopian future where AI is making us so much more efficient that we all work less hours and share in the spoils because a computer doesn't want a paycheck. However, there's also a dystopian angle to that as well, where it's made large corporations um, less accountable, um, able to do more with less and reward less people um, to benefit the very few. So that, that comes back to society being very clear on how we should use these technologies. AI itself um, is, is not the, the problem here. It's providing that abundance. It's what we do with it. And, and how we choose to use it. I believe inherently in the goodness of humans, and I think it's going to be a fantastic thing for us. But I do think regulators and governments and societies have, a, have an important role in not fear-mongering and saying it's going to steal our jobs, but lie, laying down the guardrails in which we make these very important decisions coming up. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Matt. Always a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much, Carl. And that was Matt Cooperholtz. And in the spirit of moving from strawberry jam to pig shit in the matter of seconds, uh, James, you had a story to share. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I put up with this. Um, <laughs> Me either. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you know, yeah, because, uh, because we're neighbours. Mm. Um, we haven't told people that, but we actually live next next door to we one do another. Live next door. I think we mentioned really it. I think we mentioned it. <laughs> um, mm. I've experimented a bit with That's home automation. Not. I try to forget I've, most days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> home automation. Go, go for home it. Home automation, which is, you know, voice, con- yes. voice control. So some of the stuff we've experimented with, um, you know, the doorbell's quite good where you, someone presses the doorbell and you can see them from your phone and you mm. can choose whether to let them in through your automated lock or not. Um, that's quite good sort of rain sensor based sprinklers that can tell if your lawn's wet. Very good, simple kind of that's more tech than i think um automation one of the ones that i think people are quite excited about and they're really popping up in all the hardware stores is is lighting so automated lighting now there's some applications of it which are quite good so you know when you're coming home you park your car in your garage 
and the lights in your house turn on up the stairs and all that. But some of the other ones where you're sitting on your couch and you're saying, right, turn the lights on in room four or in, in the left loop or whatever. Actually, do you know what? Light switches, they're just they're just very simple, easy to use bits of technology that happen to be in the exact right place for when you come into a room. So when you want to come into a room, the light switch is there on the left next to your hand when you open the door and is much easier than saying, please turn the lights on in my living room. Mm. So there's, there's still, we're still at a tipping point in terms of what's good and what's not. I think the uh, the point of this is brilliant. So the point of that actual device or technology is to turn the lights on in your house when you're not home. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the points. Okay. Uh, one of the things we haven't talked about is C-3PO. You know, we're talking about 1977, I think, was boop, the boop, first boop, boop. Star Wars and we got to have a little look at actually what the value of, in that instance, it was a humanized version of artificial intelligence, which is sort of the what you know, humanity's been obsessed by that in every... I think if you were a character in, um, in Star Wars, you'd be C-3PO. <laughs> so humans have been fascinated by, uh, you know, the robots taking over the world. And so we, we saw that from Terminator. But there's also been some really good examples, the computers in Star Trek and C-3PO, which were beyond helpful, you know, beyond the capability of 100 people together. They've got this intelligence to speak, you know, millions of different languages, to, con to conjugate information in a way that we would never be able to do so ourselves. So there's definitely an upside um, to yeah, all this. And it's actually... A, uh, we did a trip... Please, go, please interrupt. Go. Well, no, I was, you were touching there on one of the things we haven't talked about, which is translation. And no. that's huge, right? Yes. We did a trip around Europe last year or year before. And Google Translate on your phone. I remember. When you're in a taxi in Italy mm. and you're trying to get from A to B, and rather than looking up in a little book, mm. just being able to, um, you talk it in and then you show the taxi driver what it says. Yes. And he takes you to the right place. It's amazing. Yeah. And we can't be far from a fish in the ear, surely. No, I uh, think I'm not too sure what you're actually talking about, but I was on the wrong side of La Bonnet, which is the highest mountain in Europe, uh, on the wrong side to Nice. And so I took a, a car ride over the top and the guy who was driving had more scars on his body than he did hair. And I was in the back seat petrified and I was desperate to try and work out how much do I have to pay you to slow down? And the only way I got <laughs> to do that was with Babblefish or whatever the application was where it could translate please slow down, here's 50 francs. It's <laughs> a good story. And that, this, bring, that brings us to on the end. Your, is, this on your, is this on the Tour de France? That, was this at the point you gave up on the Tour de France? And that's Tuesday at 10 for this week. James, thanks for being on the program. Until next week. Thanks, Carl. <laughs> Bye.